Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And we today are going to be talking about steampunk. Steampunkery, Chris. That's what we're going to be talking Steam about. Steampunk. <laughs> and we have a returning awesome guest. We have Sean Ellsworth of Tribality.com. Sean of Tribality. <laughs> Joining us. Everything I say, Chris. Everything I say, Chris. <laughs> There we go. I was waiting for it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. So we're, we have Sean joining us today. We're really excited to have him back. He's really excited. Steampunk is a big passion of his, so he's excited to talk about steampunk. Before we jump into the goodness that is steampunk, Chris, we have some five-star reviews. So the first one comes from Andron Maelstrom, and it's entitled Amazing Podcast for novice and experienced DMs. Andron says, this is a very informative podcast about DMing Dungeons and Dragons. It's general enough that the information provided can be easily applied to any edition, though. Each episode is comprised of stories from their campaigns, the main topic they wish to cover for that episode, and then end on a different train of thought to make your campaigns fun and interesting. It's definitely required listening for the novice DM if you want excellent advice on how to create and keep your campaign going. It is also very informative for the more experienced DM, especially if you need to get out of a rut or just looking for a different point of view. I've been DMing for 34 years, so he's definitely an experienced DM, Chris, (laughs) now, and have found listening to DM Mitch and DM Chris have really aided me in getting my creative DM juices flowing again. I highly recommend this podcast. It is one of the most creative, interesting, and interesting entertaining podcast about DMing I have listened to. Thanks so much, Andron. That's an awesome review. Thank you. The next one that we have is entitled Thoroughly Entertaining Five Stars by Victoronomy. They write, I was looking for podcasts about GMing to help fine-tune my process when I stumbled upon the DMs block. I enjoyed the format and found the advice to be solid and generally usable no matter what system you happen to be playing. Of special note, do yourself a favor and start with episode one. You will get to witness the growth of the two friends starting a podcast for kicks and giggles and listen as they refine their craft. Plus, listening to the campaign stories from the beginning is a necessity. Uh, we like our <laughs> campaigns. So, yeah, I think yeah. I, I think you guys can glean a lot of information from those uh, based on the things that we do. So thank you for that review, Victoronomy. Yeah, thank you so much. Our next one comes from Help Desk Ninja, and it's entitled A Solid Inspiration Foundation. These fellas do a, I like being called fellas, these fellas do a pretty shiny job of describing how they play, but also provide 
ad hoc scenarios that might spark any DM to come up with something unique and interesting. Well worth a regular listen. Thanks, I like, Helptic. I like how Des the review Ninja. says pretty shinny job. Yeah, pretty shinny job. Don't say that too fast. You'll say it the wrong way and it'll sound Yeah, terrible. don't say that too fast. <laughs> uh, all right, the last one that we have is from Doctor Who 1011. Uh, don't like the show, but appreciate the review. Uh, He says, finally, exclamation point, five stars. I've been talking to you guys for weeks now through my email, but my iTunes wouldn't let me get on to write a review. But now I can. This is by far one of the greatest pods I have ever listened to. I listen to this at work, in bed, playing video games. It's absolutely addicting. Uh, Got me into playing D&D again, and it got my friends playing. So glad I found your guys' podcast. Really enjoy emailing back and forth. You guys are awesome. Keep it up. P.S. Hired Heroes was awesome. Sincerely, DM Dylan. Why did you? What? <laughs> so creepy with the whisper the, there. Thanks, the, DM Dylan. Because PS makes it seem like. Oh, and by the way. So I was just, I was just making it sound really? like he was whispering to us. Okay, I got you. I understand. I'm gonna have to read all my PSs from all the letters I get in the mail, which is none like that from now. Seriously, on. that's how I do it every single time I read it, and like when yes. I put it in an email, I'm like. Oh, by the way, just wanted to let you know. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, thank you so much for all of those reviews. We are now going on to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns. Our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. All right, Chris, so for story time, we got to play the first night in your new campaign called The Adventures on the Solarian Islands. Yes, you uh, are right. I am right, I am right. Good. That, I, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I was I like, saw Solarian, in your head, I think? There was like Solarian? this moment of like hesitation. You were like, yeah, uh, well, oh, we've yeah, only played once, right. and it was two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago, so yeah, yeah yep. it's, uh, it was a little bit hazy. But so uh, we played in the Adventures of the Solarian Islands. We got our our character creation night out of the way. We built our characters, and so we began this night with all of our characters being in the same city. I don't remember the city's name. Uh, Mortendale. Mortendale, and we all were coming into the city, or we had been in the city we'd for whatever city, reason, yep. and. There was this festival of the ships going yep. on, so this is a big festival, and it's... it draws people. There's three islands that make up the yep. Solarian Islands, uh, and everybody who can pretty much comes to the city of Warndale. Yeah. Like, there's tents outside the city because there's not enough room in the city, <laughs> so people come here for this for this festival. Yeah, and so this this big thing, and obviously it is what it sounds like. It involves ships and. Um, I believe there was a there was a parade going through there was town. a parade of ships. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like out in sorry, out in the bay. I yeah. may not have explained that really. And well, I didn't. But. I did not um, get it. But I think it was Caleb. He was like, "Oh, because they're in a parade. They're floats." And oh yeah. I was like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah. I see what yeah. he did there. That's yeah. funny. That's funny." Yep. Uh, but yeah, so there's this big. Uh, Festival of the Ships in Mortendale, and so that's where we started out with all of our characters. Most of our characters don't... Well, I shouldn't say most of our characters don't know each other. Uh, we have two chameleon... Camille, Camilos. Camilos, yeah. which are chameleon kin mm-hmm. um, brothers, and they know a tiefling. They're all part of this investigation business, this yep. detective business. Yep. Then we have a druid Howie, which is a deer folk. 
um, played by our friend Tyler. And then we have me and we have Caleb and I. I am Maglath, the the barbarian bounty hunter Goliath, uh, and he is a half-elf bard bounty hunter. And we kind of have this like secret alias as a like bard band that but we're really bounty hunters. And part of that was that we throughout the night gave our fake names to mm-hmm. the rest of the group. Like yeah. as players, nobody too, in the group knows your yeah, names yet. We did not want the players to have metagaming like me and Caleb personally, we didn't want them to know our names. So I, uh, because Magleth is, has a really low intelligence. He can't remember much. So he, and hopefully they're not listening <laughs> to this episode. Yeah. Cause they'll, well, know it'll be, it'll be out way after yeah, and yeah. yeah i don't think it'll i don't think it'll be a problem but so we named my guy boars and caleb's alias is solace i have boars big hammer brothen yeah <laughs> yeah and they just laughed with it they're like oh dumb name and yeah. i'm just like well it's not well, my real name yeah so. right right <laughs> yeah because goliaths have their first name a second name that's given to them by the tribe and then i think it's basically like their surname yeah um and so, i don't even have caleb's actual name yeah. for this character yet <laughs> well i think I think me and Caleb didn't want to like really push our real names onto you because we didn't want you to have that yeah. extra like mess up and like well, the only like, reason I know yours. We, Caleb was very like like very cautious about like he's like I'm gonna mess up and he never yeah, did but did. Yeah. yeah I I don't even remember his real name you as you a player. posted <laughs> yours on Twitter with yeah. the mini that you painted yep. and that's the only reason I knew that your guy's name was not actually Boar's Big yeah. Hammer Brothen Maglath Clan traitor Thulavan. and so i mean with i mean his clan gave him the name clan traitor and so you don't know caleb doesn't know only i know why he has a name clan traitor and caleb i did explain to caleb in his backstory i'm like if you it, like you probably had a moment that you asked maglath and that was probably the most tense moment ever and yeah. you decided never ever to ask again but yeah. uh it will affect his role playing uh, and I, I'd rather actually not tell you as no, the DM if you want to know, I, I but actually, I kind of am ex- ex- waiting for the moment where something happens that like Magleth clan traders, like basically his, the red, it comes up and he just goes like into his it's rage like the or whatever. Trigger. It's like yeah, the, the, trigger. the trigger that happens. Um, yeah. And for, cause one of his flaws is that he does not, um, he feels like he doesn't need to explain himself. Mm, so like fair. if somebody gets pissed at him, he's not going to be like, I'm sorry. Yeah, like right. I was like, he'll just be like, whatever. whatever. <laughs> like, well, it's like, it's funny that as a DM, it's really interesting because I, I kind of had this, you know, idea that like you have these things that you're not telling me yet. Yeah. And Caleb has these things that like, he's not telling me yet. And he like he Facebook messaged me while we were playing while you guys were doing something, and he's like asking me these questions. So he has things he's hiding from the group <laughs> that you guys don't know about yet. Yep, Caleb doesn't know what I have. I trust Caleb's the one guy in the like I said not in just the group because we hadn't met the group yet. But I was my guy has trust issues like severe yeah, trust, sure. which stems from the clan trader thing. Right. Um, and so I told Caleb like yeah. yeah he saved my life. That's part of like the backstory we have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like my guy trusts you with his life and it's funny because we yeah we have things that we don't know about each other because we just haven't told each other even though he's the one guy i trust the most right but yeah even even in that sense it'll be it'll be interesting to see those secrets come out and 
And yeah, we we just ended the night pretty much with getting to know the other group and yeah, you guys kind of all did your separate things throughout the whole night. And so like we had this group of you know we had Hanta, which was my brother's character, one of the Camilos. We had Caesar, which was another one of the Camilos played by Jared, and we had. Uh, Jason was playing Zyvere and they they were kind of like the tiefling. Yeah. They were yeah, he's a tiefling and so they were making this investigation group and they got hired at the very beginning of the night by the royal guard. Like they had been here for a little while. They had started making a little bit of the name for themselves and or the royal navy, the head of the royal navy came to them and was like, "Hey, we have this big race going on where like these ships all come from all over the land to try and race to see who's the fastest. And they have this set, you know, set up around the, like these miniature islands in the bay that they have to race around and stuff. So they got hired to make sure that nobody was cheating. And so they went and did their duty. They, they investigated all of the ships, made sure they were all set to go. And that was kind of what they did for the first little while. That I mean, that was their their main job. Caleb had something that he needed to do. And, and we both said this. I was like, oh, I wish... I wish we could have recorded this yeah. because it was one of those moments where like I said to him in character creation, I was like, Hey, there's going to be this thing. Battle of the bards. Like you are a bard come up with some sort of story that you can share for us. And I thought it would just be like, he'd read it or whatever, you know, didn't, you know, didn't think he would get as into it as he did. But he came to the table, and yeah. like I just said to him, I said, "Caleb, do you have any?" He He's had like, like, "Oh yeah, I do." Two pages. <laughs> well, he got to this song. point after like the first like two sections, and we're like, "Is that it?" He's like, "No way, man." He's like, "I he think I up. started to clap like yeah, three or four yeah. times because I thought it was done." But he had and like he just a, kept going. He had a tune picked out. He had words that fit perfectly with the tune. Yeah. He was standing on my couch, probably <laughs> broke it in some way, shape, or form. But he was just going to town, and we were all loving it. It was yeah, one it was of fun. the one of the fun funnest moments that I've ever seen a character, you know, get into his character so much. It was, <laughs> it was phenomenal. Well, actually, and it worked out that I clapped early a couple times because I just said that that was basically Maglev, not yeah, not knowing not the quite tune, understanding. I yeah. just like kept on clapping. Yeah. Well, he had you play your drum out in the crowd. No, right? no, he didn't. He's, oh, okay. he's like, I thought, ah, don't do that. Yeah, I thought that because I think he said something like, "You totally play like you'd play your drum in this moment," yeah. and then he was like. Well, Maglev is not, not a big crowd guy, right, so right, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't really into yeah. that. So you're sitting in the crowd, like, and and everybody else had seen you do, like, seen Caleb's character do that, but you guys hadn't been introduced yep. to each other yet. So there was that moment that was absolutely just, it was so much fun, and I regret not recording it because if we did, I would have wanted all of you to I'm listen. Sure, we'll to have it. more songs. We will from, have uh, more songs. I'm Caleb's sure character. from Caleb's character. <laughs> Neither of us know his actual. Neither name. Neither of us know his actual <laughs> Solus, name. Right Solus, right now. Solus, is, yeah, alias. Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention when they were going around investigating ships, one of the things that they found on one of the ships, the Silver Wake, was it was a slave trading ship as well, and slavery in the Solarian Islands is highly forbidden and so they were investigating and they found like this little uh area within the ship that was like being covered up like people were trying to hide something obviously so they investigated it and the silver wake was just you know in that instant disqualified uh they had like i think it was like 12 halfling slaves down underneath this deck that they were just looking super dirty super emaciated like waste on the floor like they've just been chained up there for a long time and so they found that uh while they were down there and once the ship races started, they got all of the ships investigated. Everybody was clean going through there. Once the ship started, there was this, you know, big moment. Cannons fire, all these different color, you know, things of smoke come out of the cannons, indicating each of the colors of the ship that are going out. They sail out, you know, 10 minutes into the race. They start turning around the first island. 
And all of a sudden, everybody hears this loud explosion noise. And you see three amber color flares go up, which indicate that something has happened to the amber dictator. At this moment, this is where Tyler's character, and I felt bad for Tyler, because most of the night he was just yeah. like sitting there <laughs> doing nothing. And I was like, all right, I got to give him something to do. Uh, and I had a separate way of how I was going to get like the main, like the the person you met later involved in the story. But I was like, all right, I got to give Tyler some way to get involved in the story and some way to connect with the group. Because I, I had been thinking the whole time, I was like, how in the world am I going to get this druid character with the rest of the group? Because he was the only one that wasn't a part of a group previously. And so he was standing there in the crowd and he looked next to him and there was this dude in a brown hooded cloak and around the trim on the front of it was like red and yellow uh, like silk around the front of it. And he saw this guy. Once the explosion happened, everybody's kind of looking around. This guy didn't freak out or anything. He was just standing there. And he just smiled and started walking away. And it was like super, like it was not the normal reaction that you would that you would think of happened during an explosion. <laughs> and so Howie, Howie Choo Chip is his name. And I think Howie Choo Chip. I think you guys are just going to start calling him Choo Chip, right? Is no, well, Maglith, once Maglith is actually introduced to him, we'll right. just call him Choo Choo. Choo Choo, <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, Choo Choo. Um, <laughs> so I've just been calling him Choo Choo. Yeah, though. yeah. And so he just followed him. And Howie followed him to like this warehouse, like storage building area. The guy went in and he was an elf when he went in. He came back out a few minutes later and like he was the only person that went in, only person that went out because nobody is in the city. Like everybody is out in the courtyard at this point in time. He goes in, how he's looking, looking, comes back out and he's a human. Like not an elf anymore, came out as a human. And so he just was like, this is really weird. Like what in the world am I supposed to do with this? And so he followed the guy around for a little while and then everybody's freaking out at this point in time because the Amber Dictator, the reigning champion of the ship races, exploded. Like, big deal. And uh, so the XDX, as they call themselves, the private investigatory firm in the city of Mortendale, sets up shop in the Wolf Pack. Uh, it's, it's an inn in the city called the Wolf Pack. And they've been, like, hired once again by the Royal Navy to figure out what happened, get to the bottom of things, and outside of the door is just this line of people because people were promised that they would get a part of the reward if they came with information, you know, leading to the arrest of the person that did this. And so Tyler is like, well, I got information. I guess I'll go wait in line. <laughs> so he, he waits in line the whole time to get up to the front and give them this information. And how did you guys get involved? We, we obviously were there for Festival of Ships. We hear all this. We see it. Uh, and then we, as bounty hunters, of course, are like, hmm, uh, oh, this seems out for somebody's head. Yeah, I bet All you right. there's, go I bet you a bounty is being <laughs> posted for this very guy. And so we found out that was the case. And we found it out, we found out that we had to talk to this XDS, XDX, XDX group um, of investigators. To which their their name is because of their their last yeah, name. Yeah, they have Zyvir. Or their first name. Yeah, it's it's their last name. So you have Zerilis, Darish, and Zyvir is the only name for the tieflings. So <laughs> which is a lot easier to say than yes, that. Yes. <laughs> um so we go and we're like kind of trailing them, not like and so we we eventually get up to this place where it's their it's basically there's town guards. They're not letting anybody in. Mm -hmm. The investigators are investigating this right. place, and that's how we got. We right. we came up, and 
Uh, I was just silent and kind of looking stern. Yeah, because Howie took them back down to that yep. warehouse area. Exactly, yep. yeah. So they're checking that place out, and so there's town guards outside. And so we, as bounty hunters, like, approached this group. We met them at the... They were down at the warehouse. Uh, re, like, Howie Chuchip yeah. uh, brought them down there to check it out. And we met them there and basically presented ourselves as bounty hunters, and we said we can help you follow them for for payment right and so we uh we did we i i so if anybody heard um let's talk about our character for we have a pet elephant named clara i believe and we yep. we uh, clara was named by solus and i magleth got to name our dog and i named him hound right um and so uh hound was with us clara was i'm assuming in a stable somewhere mm-hmm. and so uh, I set Hound. Basically, they had found. What did they find? They found, the, a, they found a piece of the garment that the guy was wearing yep. that he tried to like dispose of, burn uh, in a fireplace, but didn't quite get all of it. So you have a small remnant yeah. of that piece of garment, and you decided like this is why you have a Hound. He'll yeah. sniff out. So I gave it to Hound. Where this guy hound is. find and uh, Hound went off, and I started following Hound, and eventually we saw somebody. Yep, you saw somebody away from leaving hound. a tavern. Uh, hound starts barking like yep. dogs do when they find something that they've been sniffing, and the guy just books it, like yep. just takes off. And he he goes down the street a little ways and then turns into an alleyway. Yep. And you guys follow him. And then what did you guys find when you came into we the alleyway? We found after him? him on the ground in a pool of blood with a arrow in his back. Yeah. And I believe one or two of us rolled the perception check, mm-hmm. and we saw somebody on the roof. Um, I believe. I I think I made the perception check yep. and like tried to like throw I think it was an axe you or something. And, yeah, I think it was you and my brother, yeah. uh, Hanta, I think were the ones that that saw whoever it was. So like I tried to attack, tried to follow, didn't actually I wasn't yep. able to. So uh I came back and the guy was dead. I threw him over my shoulder and you saw the spinning. arrow that was out of his back had yep. red and yellow fletchings on it. So it was very similar to the red and yellow that uh, that Howie had seen, and you yeah. guys see on the on the piece. And of I garment think I around. gave it to Hound to try and sniff again, mm-hmm. but I don't think we got mm-hmm. anything. We, out of yeah, it. no, you guys didn't find anything uh, after that point in time. But so you guys went back after that point, um, and you talked with the Royal Navy, and they were like, they weren't willing to pay you quite yet because it was like we don't know one hundred percent that this was the guy. Follow up on some more leads, figure out if this was actually the person. You guys are like. Seriously? Like, this just happened. Like, it's pretty apparent that this guy was in on it. Like, here's the especially here's the facts. Me and, uh, especially Magleth and Solus. Yeah. Like, especially, like, Solus at least was able to kind of be like, all right, we'll get paid later. Mm-hmm. Um, but Magleth was n- not really having it. <laughs> yeah. And so do you remember what Magleth did? Yeah, he kept um, putting his hand out to one of the Camilos and was like, pay now, pay now. Yeah. And so... Magleth is not good at counting either, so yeah. um, he dropped five coins into Magleth's hand and in Solus's hand, and Magleth looks at Solus and is just like, "This is not a lot, right? This is not a lot." <laughs> like me can tell, yeah. um, so, or Magleth can tell, and uh, he so Solus tries to calm Magleth down. He's not happy about it, 
but he's able to calm down and say, all right, we're going to get paid later. But Megaleth, at the very least, is like, all right, well, Hound did all the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where's Hound's payment? Yeah. And, like, basically there was this whole, like, fight about, like, paying Hound. And, like, and like I think the whole table was looking at me like, Megaleth is trying to get, or, well, they think my name is Boars, but yeah. Boars is trying to get his dog to get five gold for mm-hmm. what he did. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just looked at everybody. I'm like, yeah. My dog's only two intelligence lower than me. Yeah. He did all the work here. Yeah. <laughs> so Magleth has a pouch on his uh, side that's for hounds. For gold. hounds yeah. specifically, yeah. For hounds specifically. Yeah. So, you, um. you also did something as Magleth, and you probably, I don't remember if you remember this or not, but they were talking about payment later after you guys left or something. Oh, and, and he I, stood outside the door. Yeah. I, once again, Magleth does not trust anybody. So he. Uh, stood out. He listened in on their conversation at the door, and when one of the Camillos went to bed, who kind of has been the head honcho, the one that Jared is playing, uh, he slept outside of his room because he's he's been stiff before uh, before him and Solus met up, and so he does not trust anybody. Right. So he he wants to make sure that they don't sneak away with his gold. Yeah. So. Well, there was another moment where you were standing outside a door when they were talking, and you're like, gold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I Hound. because giant is I yeah we forgot to say giant is my my native language right. Common is I know some common right. So I'm listening at the door, but I only know certain words, and I decided that most like, of them which are like money words. Yeah, money words and very like easy to understand words. Right, right. So I'm going and I'm counting like okay, they said gold, they said hound, <laughs> they said no. They said they said boars. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they said no. Like, and I'm just trying to figure out what are they talking <laughs> yeah. about without actually understanding common very well, yeah. and and also going into like you know with not knowing the language very well, the faster they speak, the harder it is for me. So, yeah. uh, so yeah. that's where at least most of the group left off for mm-hmm. that night. Yeah, and so then Jared, I had everybody leave the room at this point in time, and what ended up happening next was Jared went to sleep. Uh, his Who's character, character? Uh, Caesar, Jared, Jared's character went to sleep. And what ended up happening is he entered this weird uh, dream state where I told him, I was like, you open your eyes and you, f- like this feels very familiar to you. Like this is a dream that you've had before, like pretty regularly um, trying to set it up as like when you wake up in the morning, it's not going to be something that you run down and be like, oh my gosh, this is such a weird dream. Like I have to tell everybody about this. And so he wakes up, or like he's in this dream, and he looks around, and it's like this just desolate-looking battlefield. There's like uh, a volcano in the background, some like destroyed trees all over, and in front of them, in front of him, is this demon-looking creature. Uh, and he knows, like he's just instinctively knowing that he's supposed to be here in this moment. He looks down at his arms, he sees a sword in his hand, and he sees this uh, on his arm, he sees this tattoo of this black wolf howling at the moon. And so he realizes, like, this is me. This is my moment. And he gets into this battle uh, with the demon in front of him. And what I ended up doing is I just said, all right, you get one attack. Like, you get to do your attack. And then he attacks you. And that was the dream. That's all we had for the dream. Setting it up as, like, this could be a regularly occurring thing. And so then I just said, all right go get everybody else you had your dream state where you fought with the demon have everybody come back come back and i basically ended the night by saying you guys wake up the next morning you go down to the main room of the wolf pack and loshmar the innkeeper is there and he's you know ready to serve you guys food and that's where we ended off uh for for the night an interesting little side story there yeah 
Yeah, I think you know what's going on. I have a feeling you do after something that we've talked about in the past. But yeah. 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 <laughs> but I will keep that out of my character's yeah. mind, yeah. which will be easy because he's Maglev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to tune in next time and find out what happens to the group on the Solarian Islands uh, with this whole ship debacle and everything going on. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist the mouthful! No! The flight meat's back on the menu, boys! So today for the meat, we are joined by Sean from Tribality. Sean, how are you? I'm good. I'm excellent. Good. It's been a little while since we've it's been a little while since we've talked with you on the podcast. And so and so Sean, when we when we think of steampunk, uh what what are you talking about specifically when uh you refer to steampunk? Well, you have to be careful because I was uh I got a talking to after writing an article with like a, <laughs> a few fans. Uh-oh. I kind of think of I think of steampunk as anything where, you know, you're kind of taking a technology mm-hmm. and, you know, really getting a little creative with it, you know, so, uh, you know, if you're in the 19th century, all of a sudden you have computers yeah. that are, are being powered by, I don't know, burning coal, <laughs> like that, that didn't happen. <laughs> like it kind of did, they had a difference engine and people have jumped around on that. But, you know, last time I checked, uh, a lot of the technology yeah. <laughs> you see in these things is a little, um, you know, fantasy like, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So whether it's steampunk which is, you know, when you boil water and then make pistons go around or whatever else. Or even if you get into what is called diesel punk or atomic punk, it's kind of all the same kind of feel where you take this, um, you know, analog, uh, you know, mechanical kind of stuff and you, you know, turn it into a lot of the things we have in our modern age, right? Such as computers or mass transit and all these things that would have been very difficult to do you know, in, say, the Victorian era, right? Which, you know, a lot of the stuff is true and it's based on facts. It's just they've kind of taken that jump to the next level, right? Well, that's fantasy, right? That's uh, fantasy and playing a role-playing game. It's it's that adding that what-if factor. What if we took this error and put it into a steam, uh, a fantasy or a sci-fi world? Or what if what if during the Victorian era... Uh, we had, you know, magic or whatever. So it's adding that in. And I mean, I personally, I wouldn't want to play in a strictly we're going to play real world 19th century role playing game. No magic. No, <laughs> I personally would be like, eh, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I'll take the next one. But going into a fantasy world and adding that 19th century steampunk feel to it and seeing how that interacts with magic. That's just fantastic for me. Yeah, I, I when when we talked about uh you know, having Sean on to talk about steampunk, immediately I thought of the movie Wild West. Or was it mm-hmm. Wild Wild West with yeah, uh, Wild Wild? Yeah, exactly. And yep. I think of the huge walking spider, the spider and yeah. the guy's wheelchair that's like steam powered, and like everything <laughs> that's in there is just ridiculously crazy and not supposed to be there. Uh, but it's that like it's it's that taking technology that shouldn't be there and making it a part of that uh, that community. Being I heard like, a story about that movie actually that the director of that movie was or not the director the director didn't want a giant spider in that movie or something like that and 
the one of the producers was just like really into spiders for some reason at that time. Oh, I and think so. It, yeah. And so they were basically just like, uh, you're going to put a spider in this movie <laughs> uh, or you're fired and we're not making this movie. And yeah. so that's where the spider came from in that movie. I, 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 I don't even it. think that was that wasn't the worst part of that movie. So I mean, like, you <laughs> so, can't be like, well, the spider ruined it. I think yeah. they had. No, 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 no. That's not the worst part. Yeah, that, that was the best pretty... part of that movie. A big <laughs> robotic spider that could shoot fireballs out the front. Come on. Who doesn't? Yeah, you got, that? Like you want a final boss for sure. Yeah. So right. yeah, maybe we should start. Um, you know, to get a, an idea thematically of what steampunk is, maybe we can talk about a few movies or whatever yeah. and, and kind of classify those. But before before we do that, um, you mentioned magic. So if you're going to go and add steampunk into your world, you really need to think about well, where's this power coming from? So in the case of Eberron, for example, the the power of the steampunk is coming from like low level mages or whatever you want to call them. They're instead of boil using technology to figure out a way to, you know, create boilers that, um, you know, they, they're using magic to go and do that kind of uh, power. Right. And, and no steampunk, whatever it is, you don't really need to get into like the tech. I mean, star Wars is great, for example, and in, in it, it doesn't really get into like how everything works. Like sure. A lot of the expanded universe has done that, but you know, you just need to understand that oh that's there and that's kind of what more important part about it is well what's that doing to this society like yeah. oh if you have a bunch of you know stuff uh, stuff that's going and powering this well how's that going to change society so in the case of Eberron you have uh, mass transit you have these trains going all over the place you have airships well these are going to change things you know versus a society that has carts and horses right oh yeah so you know like just something as simple as oh well, we're going to go and add it in so you need to when you're adding this into your world, try not to break the thing. So um, one way of doing that is to go and limit it to maybe a certain people have it or a certain town has it and it's new so that, you know, you don't have to be like, well, why are we sitting here in like a medieval times over on this <laughs> continent? And over here, they're like, you know, going to the moon yeah. almost. Yeah, you could almost so, have it be like when England first invented a lot of the uh... – the technology that we have for manufacturing, they tried to hoard it all to themselves so that they could be the superpower, you know. And and then once it all got out, the whole world started to change. But you could have it where, like, a gnome population, just because I think gnomes are tinkerers, uh, they could be the ones that have steam-driven technology, and that's it. And they guard that with their life. Like, they don't let people go into the engine rooms of these things. They don't let them go into their, like, tinkering laboratories. Like, they just simply hoard it. I think that's a – I think that could be one way that you preserve – not having the world fall apart because of those things. I think that's a good point that you make, Sean, too, that you don't need to get into the how does this machine work. And I think maybe one reason why certain people out there, maybe some listeners, haven't tried Steampunk is because they've gone, you know what, I un I understand in my mind fantasy. Like, I get it. Like, there's magic and there's swords and you get killed if you get hit with a sword. But I wouldn't be able to do a steampunk campaign because I don't understand like the technology. And part of that is, well, part of it is it's a steampunk fantasy kind of genre. So it's like you don't really need to understand the technology. And, you know, there's I think a good example of technology even being there, there being an explanation, but an explanation that really you don't need to explain is like Back to the Future. Like, oh, well, how does that car, how does the DeLorean work to go back in time? Well, it's the flux capacitor. 
Nobody knows what the heck that means, <laughs> but there's an explanation. And so you can do stuff like that. You can explain it through, well, it this airship runs by this specific mechanism. And you can even say to your players, and the workings of this ex- this mechanism are powered by magic or whatever. And I can't really explain to you guys as players how it works because it's so beyond our understanding. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, and one more way of uh, bringing it in, um, you know, it's magic, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, well, the other thing you can go and do is say it's elemental magic. Okay. So, you know, it, it, the airship uh, flies because in the case, I think this is actually how they do it in Eberron. They've changed some poor elemental to the airship, and that that's what flies the thing. I, I personally, awesome. <laughs> I find that a little bit cruel. But yeah, so you know, these elemental beings or whatever are you know being used to power these engines. I mean, it seems kind of mean, but but that's again. a fantastic part of like lore. If you want to create a steampunk world, every single airship has to harness the power of some elemental for it to be able to fly. And what if that elemental breaks free? Does the ship just start going down right away because it's like not in maybe it's like kept in some sort of container that runs it? That's a really cool part of the lore. Yeah, like and, and that's the kind of twist you can put on it so that your players are like, Oh, here we go. Thanks for the steampunk, governor. And like have some <laughs> let's have some tea. You know, if you go and put a twist on it like that, then you know it becomes uh, you know, part of your world and and your own take on it. You don't even have to call it steampunk. You can just be like Dude, there's like elemental airships in this in yeah. this city. You'd be like, "What? I want one. <laughs> How do I steal that today?" <laughs> like that, your players will go from the thing of because players are always asking for airships, but a lot of times they're like, "Well, does steampunk really fit here?" Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like if you go and use elementalism or magic or whatever, it might feel a little bit more fantasy for them. Yeah. But uh, you know, like the other thing is, if you want to go and run a non-fantasy game, I mean, there's some great examples in video games and whatever else. I mean. Uh, like, let's look at some of our favorite movies or whatever else. Uh, you mentioned Wild Wild West. Well, that's steampunk, right? And it's oh, yeah. kind of during the Civil War era in the right. States. So we're looking at uh, mid to late 19th century. Um, not really nuclear power or, or, you know, the use of diesel yet. But if you look at uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, a fantasy mm-hmm. world where they're using like what? Machine crossbows. Machine gun crossbows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, you know, they have all kinds of stuff. Or Or Sherlock Holmes where... You know, there's some steampunk elements, so it can be light. And, you know, obviously Sherlock Holmes is a, a man of his times, yeah. in Victorian times, and, you know, steampunk is it kind of goes with that. But the Golden Compass is another example. That's a good one. Yeah, or Hellboy, for example, where yeah. I've been told, well, this is diesel punk. You shouldn't have mentioned the list, but he wasn't being mean. <laughs> he just, what, he just, he's a, he was, he's a big diesel uh, punk fan, right? Or, you I know, like um, the movie The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, I wish that movie had continued and become the sequel and uh, the trilogy that they were hoping for it to become. But I love that movie. Sean I Connery, heard they're doing a and, female reboot. Oh, yeah, I did hear they're doing a, a reboot. We'll see. Uh, you can't, in my opinion, you can't beat Sean Connery. So. <laughs> Sean As Connery like, that's is a, the League like, of got, Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. You've got, like, Captain Nemo in that, and he has a huge submarine the nautilus like in a time where like you look at that and you're like yeah obviously this is not historically correct besides the fact that uh dr jekyll and mr hyde are running around like there's a lot of technology that's being played within that movie and those comic books that's very steampunk like so that's the thing is like well they didn't have submarines well they had submarines they just sucked so the difference between league of extraordinary gentlemen and some boring like how does it even float 
um, submarine like you see in the Civil War in the States is that it was awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's like a matter of like, well, could you make an airship? Yeah, sure. But like they exploded and nobody liked them and they were slow. So <laughs> so we're, we're just taking something that existed and making it awesome. Uh, you can go way back. I mean, Three Musketeers is definitely not the 19th century, right? Like, and they have airships in that in that yeah. crazy movie that I that love. Ridiculously <laughs> crazy movie. <laughs> that is like a great D and D movie, right? If, if you're going to run a swashbuckling campaign, like uh, I try to run that every week. Like you know, call, call me a hack, but if, if I could be running like that movie, I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where like you know, people are like it makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, so the 90, 95% of D&D campaigns. Jousting on the black back of a dragon turtle does not make sense either, but we did it. There you go. Right. And, and I mean, those are great moments, right, that you can't get without steampunk. Like, I've had, you know, my players make a roll on a D20 to jump from one ship to another. They're a mile in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a lot of D6 damage when you land, right? <laughs> So, yes. and I mean, you know, like that's exciting and, and, you know, they got to make a 10 foot jump and <laughs> if they roll a one, like they're going to die or, yeah. you know, somebody has got to cast a spell to go in, and fly down there. But, you know, it, those are the kind of things that are fun that, that people want that are iconic here, you know, throw them in a submarine instead of, oh, uh, Rich will probably get mad, but instead of giving them gills and letting them swim, let them go through a machine. <laughs> they don't need to deal with the evil deep, just take a machine through it. <laughs> Exactly. Skip the whole, skip the whole entire uh, environment. Just get from point A to point B. Yeah, there's some seaweed and sharks out there. Not our problem. Yeah, whatever. We're in a big metal tube. Nothing can hurt yeah. us in here. We leave that to the sea elves. So but yeah, the wild so- <laughs> tower is swimming past our submarine. Who cares? And and one of the other things about when you bring in steampunk is you really a lot of times you want to bring in a type of theme that would be associated with with steampunk, and we see that some of these movies just happen to be have some steampunk elements like Sherlock Holmes. But, you know, Sherlock Holmes has a lot of the occult in it. And a lot of steampunk stories would be uh, well suited to instead of being like, say, a sword and sorcery type story, you know, a, a steampunk story might more have a Victorian inspired world feeling or something where that technology is central. So you might look at things like you, some of these would be exciting for people, some of them would be boring, but just to go down the list. Um, urbanization and unions and people moving to the city. So all of a sudden, you this pastoral world is turning urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like telecommunications. Well, if I can suddenly like send a telegram from one continent to another in my world, like that's a new technology. That's going to change things. Like I can't invade this country as quick anymore, or you know the, the sneak attacks. Like I can't send a navy of like five hundred ships. Like you know, there's going to be a newspaper article about, oh, by the way, Baron von uh, Cyber, uh, Steam Jerk is sending a navy to the uh, poor people. You know, like, and he'll be to, here in five days, so get ready. And, yeah, and one of the things we always talked about was our when we did our, um, what was the one, the heist episode. Yep. We always talked about uh, with the medieval Rocky Talkies or whatever, all yeah, those things. Rocky Talkies, yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, like, this is fine. You take our modern world and you just go and, you know, add a governor to it or whatever, right? So it's like the robots become automatons and yeah. aeroplanes and different <laughs> computational difference engines. You know, like, all this is is like, yeah, like, throw me a, like, where's my MacBook, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's my foldable difference engine. <laughs> whatever you want. <like. laughs> You should, to- like, yeah, if you're building a steampunk world, you should totally make Apple an evil corporation in your world. Right and, and, and Disney, 
they they have uh, Iron Man like golems with instead of a circle in their chest that's glowing, it's just an apple. <laughs> and, and and like there's a lot of things like oh, a big common theme we see in iRobot or whatever. Uh, like all these things is the robots go bad. Well, imagine if we had robots a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Like how long before they would already be our overlords? Yeah. So you know you can have things like. The automatons, they're not serving us well. Like <laughs> my butler is attacking. So you could go and have your zombie invasion is all of a sudden a bunch of like steampunk gear robots, yeah. right? You know, whatever's powering them, whether it's some kind of um, you know, little uh, magic uh, thing. Again, who cares what the technology is, as long as you just thematically say, Yeah, like, you know, people burn coal. And then you have things like the downtrodden coal miners, or like, oh, these these low-level mages. You know, they work 12-hour days, and they're going to – and if, what happens if they rebelled, there'd be no magic. There'd be no trains, and production would come to a standstill, and, so, you know, the entire elite would lose their power. So you can create an entire revolutionary-type plot or whatever just because mm-hmm. the, tans- the technology coming in place is so, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, transitional. And a lot of um, steampunk, like, video games or movies that I've seen or just stories in general that – class system is always very apparent like you have the elites and you have like politicians always have a lot of power and then there's always this this mass majority of people in extreme poverty that they don't have the comforts of the steampunk life they're living out on the streets they're they have no homes they're begging for food i think that's a definite uh, aspect of a steampunk world that can be added in the the happy farmer like if you if your points of light setting all the monsters got killed you have like a zillion happy farmers mm-hmm. right like it, like your entire D and D world or Pathfinder world turns into a ro- world of rolling hills of farms and really like you feel bad for the animals <laughs> you know like they're 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 not gonna their forests are gonna get cut down and yeah. like oh, goodbye elves <laughs> but you know in a, in a steampunk world everyone's leaving those farms. For whatever reason, and they're moving into the cities a lot of times. And you know, this a steampunk setting uh, is a good place for, oh, let's say, uh, fantasy. You can add it into your fantasy, like um, Eberron, and and you know, that's a world where uh, political intrigue is really important. Um, a swashbuckling adventure, like I mentioned, like uh, Three Musketeers. Um, you know, you go and add in uh, some airships and whatever, and inst- and you know, you're you're all for one, one for all is up in the air instead of, you know, sitting around on horses or whatever. Um, a romance, you know, a difficult genre for many people to run or whatever game style. But you can add in romantic elements, you know, uh, instead of saving the princess, it can be the whole, you know, you're just you, there's your foil is also your romantic interest. She betrays you, you know, much like you see in Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes. He's always in love with someone who's almost his enemy. Yep. Right? So your NPC turns into you know, it's a form of romantic interest and you let the player know. It's like, oh, yeah, that's your ex-girlfriend when but she stole, like, you know, your invention. And, uh, you know, obviously mystery, right? You know, a good place like, well, everybody loves going to the medieval village and solving the mystery. But, you know, it fits well in this genre, this genre as well. What else? Yeah. So so some things you want to make sure you have to get the setting right. And you guys can feel free to jump in if you have any ideas. But, you know, you want to have a steam driven technology. Whether it's diesel, whether it's magic, whether it's nuclear, it doesn't really matter. If I want to go in the 1950s and make a dystopia with a bunch of robots walking around and they're all powered by some kind of nuclear technology, what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to say, hey, guys, we're going to play a steampunk campaign, then you better make sure that you have <laughs> that you overemphasize and tell them, like, 
that there's all this steampunk technology or diesel punk or whatever it is. You need to relay that as a DM to your players and tell them all about what's different about this world. For sure. And if you're going to go with coal, coal's dirty. Like when, when I go to my steampunk city, it's full of diplomats. It's kind of like the place where a bunch of people come together. It's the London of my world. Mm-hmm. Is it the most powerful city? No, but it's, it's that New York or London or whatever emerging that's becoming the most powerful or is. And it's the one where, you know, they go, they're always running out of poison, whatever. It's where everyone comes together. It's always foggy or it's always foggy because there's a bunch of soot in the air. There's a bunch of, you know, this part of town has a bunch of miners sitting in the bars. This one has a bunch of, you know, people drinking teas. And you have weird shops. Like you have like a, a, a palm reader. You have a fort, you know, all these things that you would go and see. So you also want to present um, the, you know, if this kind of technology came along, all of a sudden people can get manufactured stuff. So things like, um, like mass produced clothes or, you know, shoes or whatever, all these things can happen, right? And for some reason... A bunch of brass goggles are being manufactured as well (laughs) and manufactured. So you might want to go and dress people so they look steampunky. And whether it's just the crazy gnomes or whether in your world it's this this goblin or cobalt empire is against the gnome empire. You kind of have a good steampunk and a bad steampunk, but they dress the part. Yeah. So you want to make sure that. I think that going along with like the dress and like the coal too, I like that to me brings back. I just think of once again that like distinction between classes. Like I just picture a very pristine airship that's like very elegant inside and you have the people walking around and they've got the top hats and the monocles and it's just super clean inside. But then you get down to the the layer underneath, which is the engine room. And you've got all of the engineers and the workers and they're smoking cigars and they're just covered with coal and it's just dirty. And it's like it's super a filthy job to make this very pristine airship that rich people fly around in work. Um, I really like that distinction. Yeah, and I, I think, too, like even if you're in a city that's run by coal, too, I was thinking about this. Maybe you have, you know, everybody has that coal that's constantly landing on them. Cause the minute you walk outside, you can't avoid that kind of stuff. So I just imagine like the rich people like pulling out like little makeup kits or something. And that's maybe <laughs> that's why everybody looks so pale all the time. It's because yeah. they're like covering up the little ash that's landed on them or something yeah. like that. And then the people that can afford that kind of stuff are just stuck to endure it all landing on them. And they just have layers upon layers of grime. Yeah. Uh, or, or where are like the factories themselves built? Like I imagine the factories and like the industrial part, the all of the people living in poverty are living right next to it. And like you said, Chris, getting like covered by coal and soot all oh, the yeah. time. And then you have a the rich, uh, noble uh, political districts, and they're cut off. Maybe they got walls built around them to keep all of that out. And it's just like you walk in and it's like elegant gardens and statues of marble and it's just like mansions. And, you know, they get all the comforts of this kind of technology, but they've cut themselves off from having to deal with the, well, we're kind of destroying the planet around us while we do this too. And and again, it, like if your steampunk is based, uh, Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. is kind of steampunky. It's a little bit more Great like, game. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like. I don't think what they're doing to the planet for their to get their their power is really working out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like you know they're using mana or whatever. They're mining 
they're basically mining the Earth's soul or whatever it is. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a while since I played yeah. it. Yeah, that comes back in Final Fantasy IX, too. It's the same kind of thing that they're, yeah, they, they want this technology. They want the mana and everything, but it's just, it's killing Gaia because of it. Right. So, I mean, that might be a lot better feel for you. Uh, and, you know, then you could even bring in some elemental classes and, you know, make it a world where, you know, a lot of the magic is coming from elementalism or, you know, your arcane classes. You know, like it's going to have an impact. Like, you know, they can feel the magic weakening because it's being pulled on too much or whatever else, right? Yeah. Or you know, it could even be divine, right? Like they're 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 taking the power of the gods. Well, that's not going to work out. You know, I can throw a rock down on you, like uh, you know, uh, in in Dragonlance, a certain empire, not steampunk, you know, very f- fantasy, but uh, a certain city got a little too, uh, you know, feeling like they were in control, and well, the gods kind of took care of that and turned them into a, <laughs> an ocean so well yeah and so so there's there's things like that and you need to you know not get too caught up like we said it's a soft science fiction um you know but construct your world where the steam technology whether you explain it or not has an important place like you said you know t- transportation communication politics war everything right like you want all of these things to be you know have some kind of impact like how's war going to be well we got machine guns like we'll talk about how it impacts your classes and your fighting and everything later but you know that's going to be important for you to think of and we talked about fashion well what about decorations well used a lot of wood and brass and fancy adorn and fancy adornments you know this isn't a world where um you know everything looks like tudor roofs and shingles and like <laughs> and hay bales and whatever else i mean you know it should be um, shiny with uh, soot on it, like you said, right? Yeah. And and it should be, and you know, you want to definitely visit urban because that's where the steampunk is going to be. But you know, Beauty and the Beast has an inventor who's a steampunk, uh, Bell's dad. He's got this wood chop or whatever he's taking. That's <laughs> a city. crazy thing, yeah. But I mean, like you know, it could be something like that where you bring steampunk into a small village. Well, what's that going to do? Oh, that crazy guy, or whatever. Well, that crazy guy, you know, he, who knows? Maybe he'll show up again later, right? Yeah. You know, just he could be a colorful NPC or it could be at the heart of even a, a, an adventure hook. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned airships and we mentioned uh, submersibles, submarines, whatever. You know, always just switch the name, right? Automobile, and <laughs> dirigible, dirigibles, dirigibles, um, steamboats. Yeah. And, you know, Titanic's a good way of looking at this. You mentioned before, like you're on an airship and it's going to be super fancy. Well, Titanic was the fanciest, biggest ship in the world. For a small brief period, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah. it uh, it had all those decks, right? Like you know, Jacks down from the bottom deck or whatever he was, and they're all having fun down there. And then all the boring rich people were up top, sitting on the deck playing shuffleboard or <laughs> I don't know, arguing whatever they do. So where I think Rose is her name, right? So you could go and even have that be an element where you know you're you know you guys are on the bottom deck, or you know you you have to solve a mystery on a on an airship, which is actually a uh, like there's modules just right out of Eberron like this. They're fantastic. And they'll throw a vampire in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, why not? And, and, you know, again, like that whole, well, mixed genres, right? Like, well, I never was able to do a horror campaign. Well, you're in Victorian London type town, throw in a Jack the Ripper. Hey, look, there's Frankenstein, right? Like these are some good, these are some great, great ways of bringing them in or maybe it doesn't work. And, you know, maybe even hook in like, Oh, this is our Halloween one shot kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what else are you going to do? If you, you know, if you, you could even, some steampunks take place in real world locations instead of a fantasy, like they want to do a whole campaign. 
but they'll make something like it's Pax Britannia versus Germania. Like they'll just make <laughs> fake kind of countries that like match up, right? Oh, it's the Franks. And so they'll use like kind of pseudo historical names for countries, right? And, uh, you know, that can be fun because it can be representative of the 19th century world, but the map's all weird, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, what's Britain doing up here with, you know, their colony of, you know, Australia is down over to the southwest somewhere, right? Like, you can just do whatever you want. You know, again, speaking of colonies, oh, well, we did the city. Well, where are some other locations you can visit? Well, a lot of times these powers uh, that become steampunk, now they have some more added resources and they can go and kick colonialism into high gear. And, you know, with high gear colonialism comes pirates or frontier expansionism, Wild West. So an American um, steampunk empire has their Wild West with crazy, you know, weird West type situations or pirates will give them, you know, they're good to go. I mean, they already have uh, a lot of the technology and stuff you see from steam. You see from steampunk, but throw them in the air. They're air pirates. Mm hmm. So, you know, you can go and do a lot with that or you can just leave them, you know, in a, in a Caribbean type setting. And now you have a world where, oh, it's steampunk. I can't go to Lon- boring gray London <laughs> for like, you know, uh, 15 levels. Well, you don't have to because you go visit the prison colony. You can go visit the uh, the pirates. You can go to the, you know, the frontier where and you know, lots of stuff like that. Yeah, and like you said, you said earlier on, but maybe there's a section of the world that, you know, this section of the world, this people group has all this technology and maybe that beyond their borders there's people who haven't this technology so you you can take almost that fantasy setting and put it in with a steampunk setting at the same time and uh, i'm sure the people in the city would call the people outside of it barbaric and uncivilized and uh, the people outside of the city could feel the same way about the people inside the city that they're messing with things that they shouldn't be messing with, that they've turned their backs on the gods, that whatever it is, like you can have a world where if you go, oh, we've had enough of this steampunk city, well, you can travel to places that are different, like you said. Yeah, and, and you can even mix it up. So in in my world, I have a, a Vidari world where you know it's a bunch of loosely connected islands. So. I kind of stole a little bit from Dragonlance, where in Dragonlance, the gnomes, the rock gnomes, tinker gnomes, whatever you want to call them, they have that kind of technology. They live in a mountain. Everyone's always like, don't trust a gnome invention because three quarters of the time they blow up and take out everybody. Right? <laughs> so you can add that element in where like, yeah, these, 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 this technology is available, but it's also breaks down continuously because, I mean, really, like it's a little ahead of its time. I mean. You know, the machining of the gears isn't going to be what's re- where it should be. So, yeah, you have this steam-powered stuff, but, you know, the, the boilers are always getting too cool or, you know, they can't dig enough coal or whatever it is. So you can keep it in limited supply in your world so that an airship traveling, like, you're like, your player's like, I'm not going on that airship. They crash all the time. No, no, we got to go. We have to get there. We have no choice. <laughs> you know, like, but they always crash. And then, of course, what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to crash, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you can go and make it so that it's limited to just the gnomes or just the kobolds or goblins or whatever else and have people where they go and borrow it. But, you know, if it is widespread, it's not a big deal either. I mean, you can always, you know, as long as you're thematically running with it in a way that you're creating good stories and steampunk shouldn't be at the front. It should be a setting where your stories take place. Mm -hmm. I think an interesting thing to note here um, is that if you're listening to us talk about all this and especially when we talked about, oh, the look, like the look of, uh, people during this time, their fashion, the look of 
the technology, it's super easy just to jump on Google and do a search for steampunk and just go down a rabbit trail of fantastic art and cosplay that just speaks exactly to what we're talking about here and can inspire you. I mean, images inspire me all the time. Like artwork always inspires me to make like I look at a picture. and I'm just like, oh, man. I have a story in my head just from that picture alone. And so I personally highly recommend for listeners to go and do some Google searches of steampunk art while they're listening to this podcast. I am going to apologize to all the true steampunk fans and people who do cosplay who understand (laughs) this so much more than we do. I just really like genres and I jump around and I try to give them the best we can. But, you know, uh, most of the people that read my People are, who, are, who are listening to you be like, yeah. uh, you don't need to worry about how the technology works. Yeah. They're like, no, you do. I'm, you know what? I know what, how the technology works. As a steampunk fan and not a hardcore, but I, I'd be happy to get there, is that if people are, are getting involved in understanding what that actually is steampunk instead of, this, oh, it's just some stupid airships, that's good for everybody. Yeah. So the more people the more people who learn about steampunk, the more people who understand it and and you know, not look at them like why is somebody wearing brass goggles? If they're like, oh, you, because the driving in the in that era was very. There's a lot of suit in yeah. the air. <laughs> if that is you, and you're listening, and you're not DMing a steam a steampunk campaign, then you should be DMing a steampunk campaign. <laughs> <laughs> You've said that about every shot. Apparently, we need a we need a we need a underwater steampunk heist. Yes, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. <laughs> uh, let's make that happen. <laughs> yeah. So, the, and you know, the good thing is, is whatever rule set you're playing, there's like, you can get steampunk stuff. I mean, D and D has Aberon, uh, Pathfinder has pure steam, and you know they've added classes in that are steampunk inspired. Um, Fate has has lots of stuff such as swashbucklers of the seven skies. Any guess what that would be? Airship pirates. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the, and there's and there's other like independent type stuff. So, you know, uh, there's lots of stuff out there. But what I was wanted to go and do is. Uh, Maybe start talking about some of the classes and races that you would go and take in a typical, say, D&D Pathfinder type mm-hmm. game. And how would you go and steampunk them up a little bit? Just like a little twist, a little flavor. How about you? What would you want to play if you were playing in steampunk? <laughs> uh, I would pro- I love rogues. I really do. Uh, I played a rogue for the first time this past time. I think a rogue would be fantastic because I feel like you could have a lot of technology made to assist you as a rogue. I think it would just be so much fun to be one. I think for me, um, I, I know we're going to, I think we're going to talk about it specifically, but I have two classes that I would love to, that are, they aren't those base classes, but, um, some sort of artificer. Uh, I would love to be making, like, I would love to be tinkering and making steampunk myrrh and golems. That would be fantastic. Uh, beyond that, I would love to, and maybe it could just be a ranger, a ranger who has guns, but have like, you know, that Wild West Wyatt Earp, uh, steampunky gunslinger type character. That would be fantastic as well. So that's, that's what I would. What about you, Sean? Uh, we just added a new player to my campaign and he is a ranger with guns. It's really that's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. more, he's a pirate. He's not a cowboy, gotcha. but it, you know, he is very gunslinger and, uh, yeah. You know, I gave him like basically a small pirate cannon. It's like yeah. I don't know, four D eight or whatever. That's it's awesome. something stupid, right? It has a no can cannon. Yeah, a blunderbust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just it just like you know puts some monster against. Yeah, the yeah. I'm just thinking like smoking a big cigar, tipping my hat, uh, walking. You hear the like the chink chink of the like because yeah, steampunk, but with like that like wild west. And the funny thing is, I'm not a big wild west guy. 
but I would love to play like a gunslinger that's just cool and collected and he's facing down a bunch of enemies with guns and just like, go ahead, draw first. <laughs> go uh, ahead. Like, I think that one of the most interesting kind of uh, classes to go and play would be someone who's like a magician mm-hmm. or like a charlatan or something like, you know, like on the surface, they appear to be just some card uh, trick kind of, a you know, saw people in half. Or they're they're doing readings, but then they truly have some kind of arcane power. So they're like their illusions are actually magic, you know, and it's and it's rare. And something like that where you go and draw on that whole the prestige or the illusionist, you know, those kind of movies, right? Yeah. But like, you know, where they actually are, oh, this guy's like a cat burglar, but he's actually an arcane trickster and you know, he just puts a wall up in front of him or he turns invisible or whatever and you know, nobody can catch him like that'd be a, you know you kind of take that rogue and you, and you twist it or you know you take that rogue and be like this is a land of diplomats and poison and now your rogue's an assassin or a swashbuckler you know they're mm-hmm. they're swinging from the chandeliers and and you know doing that kind of adventure stuff instead of like your typical um you know cut purse or whatever that you get more in the uh, fantasy right with a with a rogue yeah. but yeah like rogue's a great class um definitely um looking at a different spin on the arcane of how do you how do you go and take it that you know, maybe your paladin doesn't fit quite as well. But, uh, you know, if you want to look at adding more Victorian era type classes and backgrounds, look at things like, oh, my guy's an explorer. He's a pilot. He's a spy. He's a noble, you know, and, and, and these things. And, and Pathfinder just released a book full of some of these type of um, occult type classes, right, where you can go in and, and use these. And, and, you know, this might be a chance to go and throw a little bit of uh, um, the occult and, and the steampunk um, thing together in a, uh, you know, in your Pathfinder game. Yeah. So, uh, or you know, again, you could go in with Elemental. Uh, it, uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender is kind of steampunkish, I guess, or you know, a little touching on Diesel. You have the Fire uh, Nation, and they have these steamboats going all over the right. place. I, yeah. I, I think I think I'm right, and I think they just use fire. Who knows? They don't. Again, don't get into tech that much, right? When you move into Korra. I think they've kind of moved more into like more of a diesel era or whatever. It's, you know, 20 or 50 years. I don't know, some amount of years later, right? I can't remember how old Aang is. So, like, that's way. And those are elemental things. So that, you know, you can have the steampunk, but emphasizes elemental power, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have your. Ele- so things like Genasi or elemental type warriors or monks or whatever, like, you could go and have an entire situation where you're like, hey, I want to. I always wanted to play a monk and like, it makes sense here. Right. Yeah. So, so those are some ideas. And again, if you're going to go and do a rogue, maybe he's got a, a rapier and pistols instead of a dagger, you know, and instead of, uh, you know, maybe your ranger, like you said, has that awesome gun and, you know, he's a whether it's a, a rifle or whatever else. Yeah. If, if my, if I'm playing in a campaign and my DM is saying, Hey, we're going to do a steampunk game, then I definitely want to, not just do the i'm not going to be running around as a ranger with a bow and arrow i'm going to want to explore the lore of this world and in that the weapons and and really make my character my class fitted for this kind of campaign setting and i think as a dm if you're running that kind of campaign uh come to the table with your players and help them to make characters that are different um even if it's a you know, while you're playing a fighter, yeah, you still want to use a sword. Well, let's give you a sword that has a mechanism that it can also shoot its blade out, like as a as a spear type projectile. Um, 
And obviously, if you do that, then you need to get that blade back before you're going to be able to damage people right. with the sword again. But it could be a sweet, like, last stand kind of effect that's just added in to help you get that feel of we're playing in a different setting than we normally do. I think even if you were a ranger with a bow, you could have, like, some arrows that were steam-powered or something. Yeah. So that they, it once it has to hit, like, a certain velocity or something, but once it does, it, like, activates whatever's inside, and then it just shoots and does, like, an extra two dice worth of damage or something like that i think you could make some pretty cool stuff with that yeah i mean hawkeye is a great example where he's an archer but i mean like his arrows are far from uh you know a a piece of wood with a flint on the end of it right so yeah you can you can again take that thing and you know if you're a player and and you're in a steampunk or you know like you get invited to one try to come to the table with something of the world like you said like don't be like i'm a paladin wearing plate armor why like why would you need plate armor in an era where nobody wears it like you know or like now's your chance to be like i want to be a paladin well you know be a robot paladin or whatever you know, like be a warforged, a warforged right? paladin, yeah. so yeah so speaking of uh you know some optional races that may not make it into your normal game or you know that might fit better here um you know humans fit in any uh, there are you the default and oh yeah you could do a human only campaign in steampunk if you wanted to make it you know a parallel of our world yeah. Um, you know, maybe you add in only a few races. Like, well, we really like Dragonborn. Well, some people like Dragonborn, some people don't. Uh, you know who liked Dragonborn or dinosaurs is Victorian era people. They were crazy. <laughs> there's there's a picture of like this people eating dinner in like a Triceratops. They always see from the, uh, you know, the, like it's like a sixth place sitting or whatever. Like they loved it, right? Because that's when these dragons or dinosaurs were first being discovered. Right. So you can imagine that they also that King Kong era and all the rest. You go off and you find that, um, you know, you go to the island of the, those dinosaurs or behemoths or giant apes and you find an ape person who's civilized. Or you find that dragonborn who's a descendant who's evolved from these terrible lizards, right? Yeah. Halflings might suffer. Uh, their country way, their shire is being consumed. So they can be the really downtrodden. Eberron has halflings riding as tribal people on dinosaurs they ride on raptors or something so you can get crazy with your halflings if you're gonna have them you can't just have them sitting there or you can have them as like oh yeah those guys like we, we don't even know where they are they're like and you're just walking along and like all of a sudden you're in a halfling village you're like i thought you guys didn't exist anymore <laughs> yeah I, and i i think that would be like that's a great point that i think would be a really fantastic thing to explore as the like oh my mind is all about storytelling and role-playing like to play in a world and the halflings just keep getting pushed out and pushed out and retreating further and further so they can either keep their life that they they hold dear or are they like having to stay in the cities for whatever reason and they just they're just not happy anymore it's the plight of the halflings and it i feel like a steampunk world a world that's developing into a steampunk world could even be the downfall of like that's where the halfling population started to dwindle and eventually like just died out because of the technology it it started the the death of a race which would be really interesting to see and have your players see in your story and i think that would go we'll get to them but i mean i think we can think of some other races that aren't gonna love steampunk um speaking of races that do love steampunk always those tinker rock gnomes we've talked about them a hundred times these little guys are going to get important because they either hold the, the they hold the patent on that technology or you know they're in that i always think of uh you know the Ugnuts or whatever they're called. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the guys yeah, in Bespin in, in Star Wars, yeah. the pig nose guys. They're like, yeah. they, for whatever reason, 
instead of that thing sinking down and being crushed into that gas giant's uh, um, planet core or whatever, like they're they're keeping that city afloat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always hope that's what they're doing instead of just tra- <laughs> instead of trash collection. Like maybe they're just the recyclers. I always assume that. Oh they'd... no, yeah, they're totally. They're, you totally get the feel that they're like they're tinkers, but they're not. That's the thing. Like, and I I think the Ugnuts are a good example because you could either have that the gnomes have risen in status because of their tinkering ability ability and their engineering ability or you could have it with that sense because i kind of also when you watch star wars you get this sense of either the ugnuts are just okay with being trash compressors or that they are that's kind of what they have been thrown it's like that's what your job is and maybe that's like maybe even they're even now with them having that skill they're still treated like junk and garbage and it's just like uh yeah do your job and they're almost like it's like forced labor kind of thing where they have to run all this kind of technology for uh the humans and the dragonborns or whoever is controlling these cities yeah and you could run star wars beat for beat in steampunk oh yeah it's definitely got that dirty feel to it like classic star wars anyway yeah exactly uh (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what race you'd uh, turn Jar Jar into if you're going to do the other ones. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, who's my kid's favorite character, by the way? So live with that. Oh, so, dude, he's the best character to quote. <laughs> he's so annoying, but he's the best character to quote. <laughs> so dwarves, again, you could go and either have them be like the gnomes. I mean, um, coal mining might be pretty important or mana mining or whatever you want. And, you know, the dwarves could be holding the monopoly on that. They could be core to that. You know, they could even be the ones who like the technology where being like, yeah, this crazy gnome stuff blew up, but we took it and made it work. You know, they could be the practical people that while the gnomes are inventing, like too like busy. the refiners of the technology almost. Exactly. So like, you know, this, uh, they invent the, the gnomes invent like a steam powered, like pancake flipper and the dwarves turn into a backhoe. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, no gnome's going to make a backhoe. It's just too practical, right? They're, <laughs> they're like, what would you do with that? Like, I, I need to go and figure out a way. Like, in Dragonlance, the gnomes, instead of inventing elevators, invent these things that flip people up to, like, higher levels on nets. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, crazy. <laughs> so you can really add some whimsy, like uh, um, D&D recently did in their storyline with the Out of the Abyss. If you want to add a little whimsy into your campaign and you want to have some silliness, gnomes are great for being kind of those silly guys, you never know what they're going to do. And, you, you know, the, the if you need a, to solve a problem, like, Gnome's probably got it in his pocket, right? If he has an NPC, it's like, oh, yeah, you should use this device. And there you go, your, yeah. your plot your plot <laughs> issue is solved. Um, other cool things is you got to get into these people that you never see. Uh, well, let's talk about, so Forest Gnomes and Elves, not going to be doing too well. You know, they're going to go off, they're going to become isolated. Or, you know what, you see them, they're kind of, amongst the downtrodden in the cities because, mm-hmm. you know, their forest home has been dug up to, you know, dig a coal mine underneath, right? Because coal mines strip mining a lot of times, right? Like, you know, you're digging out the side of a forested hill um, if you want to look at the eastern United States, for example. <laughs> in fact, in Scranton, I think in Scranton or something, they have a baseball park that's dug right into the into the side of a mountain. So, I mean, there's a setting. You could go and have the dwarves have a their arena for doing uh, dire boar racing. Yes. Or whatever, dwarf, dwarf <laughs> whatever, baseball, whatever you know. they race, <laughs> or dwarf baseball, you know, the classic, the full classic. Dwarf I'm, I'm picturing dwarfs like in the old 1920s uh, sweaters that they wore in baseball, like the huge windups and the crazy fast running around the bases. Now, 
Yeah, and, and every one of them hits it like 500 feet. Yeah. No matter what. <laughs> like, that's next, a pop. <laughs> next field of dreams. Come on, Kevin Costner. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like your, your elves, you know, maybe they're going to go and create their own society. Or maybe they're the ones at the center of this because they did it through magic. Because of their close connection to nature or whatever, they've created a mana empire. Now it's gone wrong. You know, they dug too deep of the elf version, right? Yeah. They, they, they you know, they... They they pull too much from from the mother, <laughs> so it could be it could be crazy gnomes doing it, you know. And this time, make it the gnomes, uh, make it the forest gnomes, right? They put a nature slant on it. Um, other races, changelings. If you're gonna do some espionage or whatever else, like uh, look at uh, Star Wars Episode Two. You have that changeling um, that gets doesn't have a lot of screen time, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you know, she or. Yeah, it's, it's a she, right? And then she gets killed, and she's still a she. Um, you know, she gets she's a changeling, and she's you know doing an assassination. So you know, you can have these crazy assassins, and your players come up to one, and then as soon as they kill him or her, changes into something else. Or shifters, you know, you can bring in some gothic elements. Now's your chance for werewolves or right. people who are plain touched or whatever you want to do, right? Wear touched, and uh, you know, you could even try for whatever reason. I haven't been able to figure this out. I apologize to the steampunk fans who do understand this, but for some reason, hey, look, um, even I think even Final Fantasy has done this before. You know who goes well with the elves and humans? Frog guys. Hollywogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, hey, look, we got frog people here, and they're just hanging out. Uh, Beatrix Potter's entire cast of characters is uh, NPCs. So, you know, like, uh, you know, Kitsunis it could be here, or whatever they're pronounced. So you could go and bring in some animal and, you know, without it being, you know, fuzzy or whatever, but, you know, some of these, they could just be part of the background, you know, like, just like Dragonborn seem to fit into fantasy now since fourth edition or whenever they were invented yeah. for that. So, yeah, like, there's a lot of uh, optional uh, things out there. And a lot of these races could be awesome enemies because it would be things you haven't faced before. Like, uh, like, Eberron, like, who, you know, you're going to face against a bunch of tribal uh, primitive halflings on dinosaurs, I guess. <laughs> That is pretty cool, yeah. You know, or, or elves that are like evil, elemental, like, you know, greedy industrialists. Yeah. Or because even like flip that whole, uh, like you said, like elves having to uh, retreat maybe because that, you know, the cities are being built. Like, what if like the world had some sort of catastrophe happen and now like the forests are all dying and this technology that's being made can actually help to help irrigation and all this kind of stuff that uh, maybe like the elves are the overlords and they create this. We talked about the rich people walling off their like part of the city. Like, well, maybe the elves walled off their part of uh, the territory. And it's kind of like this uh, territory that allows with the technology it allows all of the forest within it to still grow and to be a lush forest. But on the outside, you have the races who are not in control working this dirty industry to keep these high elves and their their forests alive. And it's kind of like flipped it on its head. For sure. And I mean, like there's a there's a lot of options for, um, you know, coming up with true villains or true heroes that are, you know, you don't have in your typical setting. Right. Or, you know, it, and there's a lot of that, like. You can kind of take a new spin on 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 an old on an old feel, which is one of the things that's nice about you know going and jumping genres. If you've been playing five years in a fantasy setting, um, you know you jump into steampunk or you jump into you know another type of environment. 
and and you know you get all these stories with the same old cast, right? Yeah. So if you were going to go and make a monster face against your party of steampunk guys wearing brass goggles and with their revolvers and all the rest of it, um, what would you what would you want to throw in front of them? What would be a, your iconic steampunk monster? Um, for me, if we're playing steampunk, um, the thing that I don't know if it's like the the monster I would use during the campaign, but if I'm doing a steampunk campaign, you you know that a, that golems are going to pop up, <laughs> like that is at like some steampunk golems are definitely going to pop up and be some enemies in that campaign. Totally, and when when I had my players in in my London city or whatever, um, just your friendly neighborhood guard, he's going <laughs> up and down the street. He's got his patrol with him, and you know he's a twelve foot tall automaton or whatever. Mm-hmm. But hey, we got to—he does not compute. He starts spinning around and shooting off his rocket launchers, right? And yeah, you know the the players come along, and who doesn't want to fight like a twenty foot robot, right? I mean, <laughs> just throw it in there. That's your random. That's your, and you can have these different random encounters. So instead of like you fight a, I don't know, let's make an owl and a bear together. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> there's your random encounter. No That's offense. a great idea. Why isn't anybody ever thought of that? <laughs> but instead of being like something like that, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you got to fight a robot. Or like, oh, you've been attacked by pirates. Because, yeah. of course, you've been attacked by pirates in the air. So you can go and have some some neat, um, you know, different uh, random encounters. And, you know, I don't know. Any other ideas for uh, monsters? Just go All ahead. right, we'll let you, I got, we'll let you keep I got looking. a couple more, but... <laughs> go, I knew you would. <laughs> All right, uh, well, obviously for me, monster or ally, like, I going back to one of our first, maybe our first magic episode, but the myrrh, like, myrrh are something that I would love to see as enemies, as allies in a steampunk campaign. Um, Acquisitions Incorporated's last, uh, last uh, appearance at PAX with the Beholder mech, like beholder mechs or just roll like automaton beholders like that would be just fantastic to have in a steampunk campaign and scary and just like just awesome to have um in in my world i have these uh in the when you get into the later years of atos you have a lot of steampunk elements arising and kobolds have harnessed uh the power of uh, flamethrowers, and they also have, uh, it's all like really junky flamethrowers, so like, a lot of the times what happens is with the kobolds is they're shooting out their flames and their flamethrowers, and if a little bit hits one of the other ones, then it, they just explode. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have also kobolds with, they've got these weird uh, gun-like steampunky guns on that they have a lightning rod coming up from their back. Uh, they have like this backpack, and alone, the gun is useless. So these these shock trooper kobolds are always accompanied by a kobold wizard who uses a lightning spell and targets it on all of the kobold shock troopers, and it powers up their backpacks to be able to shoot lightning bolts out. So it kind of like amplifies like one wizard being able to use lightning to all these kobolds running around. But if you kill that wizard, you're going to stop them from being able to use anything with this with these weapons um, yeah, and there's that elemental reason for your yeah tech, yeah exactly you know, instead of calling it steampunk you're you're you want to have technology well it's elemental based technology there's no steampunk it's just yeah. you know you got wizards powering this things up whether it's fire you know electricity air wind whatever you want right yeah yeah that's that's good um go ahead 
goblins too are always like we talked about how like I, I see goblins as the flip side of gnomes. Like gnomes are those like what we typically think as the the good benevolent race that's a tinkerer. Uh, goblins to me are that evil monster tinkerer kind of race and and obviously you can flip it on its head and have goblins be good in your campaign and whatever but when you uh sean were talking about like the gnome technology being like i don't know if i want to use gnome technology that's exactly what goblins are in my world it's just like they make some really weird really crazy technical technological advances and you know they they come up with cannons to shoot themselves out of, and they strap bombs onto themselves and make kamikaze like goblins. And sometimes like people like look at these things that these goblins are making, and they're like, "Wow, it's really technologically advanced." However, they could just not strap the bomb to themselves and just shoot us <laughs> like these dumb goblins. Like it's like they're really smart, but they're really stupid at the same time. And uh, goblins as uh, making siege weapons has always been something that I've really enjoyed and then of course last but not least um i think you you can't look at a steampunk fantasy genre without having a steampunk uh automaton dragon dropping in so oh nice that's a good one yeah you're going yeah for sure and uh you were mentioning the goblins and the and the the gnomes kind of being uh size of the coin um what's is there a game called hearthstone or hearthstone or something i haven't played it but i know i played a lot of it yeah and that's goblins like while you explain is that goblins fighting uh gnomes i've seen i've taken a lot of screenshots for tokens from that game but i don't know i've never played it (laughs) well the idea is that world of of warcraft is fantasy world right and then these kind of people are like the steampunky uh, proficient races, right? Yeah, the gnomes are. Yeah, the gnomes are seen yeah. as like the steampunky people because they like drive. Like you can buy cars and stuff like that, like steampunk cars that you can drive around on, and motorcycles and stuff like that that the gnomes have created in World mm-hmm. of Warcraft. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Nice. Yeah, and like they they play that role, right? So you know, it, again, limiting it to one person isn't isn't going to go and be a new idea. If you go and lightly add a little steampunk, a um, couple other. Um, thematic monsters would be like what does that have to do with steampunk like i mentioned for whatever reason you've been like looking at the monster manual you'd be like man if i could get a king kong or a dinosaur in front of these guys this is your chance for whatever reason these guys are going out being explorers they're finding lost worlds you know this is your chance to go and do the jurassic park where they bring the t-rex back to the city like idiots you know whether like you know they, they you wouldn't go and the port on la is going to happen here or whatever they did and, and you know king kong bringing back to manhattan and climbs a building you can do that scene in 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 a steampunk era uh just thematically because there's a chance that you know these kind of feel like that and with the exploration and going off to the far off jungles you know you can go and do that and you know another thing you can go and tie into it with the exploration angle is like we mentioned oh well there's other places um think about what victorian era people would be doing well they'd be going off and exploring other places so you you can go and have a whole thing where you go and have to find a temple out in the middle of nowhere. Or you guys are archaeologists, right? Like you could be and discovering your Egyptian land or your jungle uh, temple and other things like that. Yeah. But you mentioned taking a dragon and making a steampunk. Oh, yeah. You can take anything you want, turn the world on. Anything, yep. Same stats, right? Just, you know, now it's not, you know, as fleshy. But the other <laughs> thing you can go and do if you want to get gross and like players love when the DMs get gross. They want us to have something loose up here is it's, you hack off like that enemy that you, you, you hacked an arm off. He's got a robot arm that, that, or you know what? Someone's taking all like the, 
the, the I saw this picture on the internet. Someone's taking all like the wolves or the dire wolves and giving them robot legs. I don't know why, yeah. but you know now we got ro- we got wolves, <laughs> two front have... robot legs and a uh, wheels in the back. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 you know. The, so why would they do that? Like, why is this big bad evil guy turning things? Um, uh, another steampunk campaign you can go and do. Sonic the Hedgehog. You have an evil <laughs> doctor who's taking the forest animals and turning them into uh, monsters. Yes. So you can go and have someone taking like a certain type of monster. It's like, where'd all the owlbears go? I don't know, but <laughs> we got robot owlbears now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you can go and kind of improvise with that too. With like, you know, what kind of monsters do they want to go and fight, or what are they interested in? You know, all of a sudden, you know, take your doctor Robotnik or whatever, and 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 throw that in there. What is this crazy? machinist doing um you know and again psychic powered monsters now's a chance to bring in we have that lovecraftian kind of horror occult feel in this um setting you can bring in so you could have like mind flares or cthulhu or whatever you want to throw in and that'd be perfectly fine or just you know this guy and he's like you know he's a mystic he's like a doctor strange and like he's the big bad and and you know that that that's what's power here because usually magic is like oh i can fly or i can go and trans i can go to the- and make a portal or i can shoot fireballs at people yeah but can you melt their brain right yeah and you know they and, and that's what these guys are and you know that's the thing that people are scared of i mean there could be like a whole witch hunt against them and so speaking of the villains uh you know you know, you don't just need monsters you could go and have spies as a problem you're you know you got to go and stop a spy ring or people are in mech suits you know, they can run, fly, punch harder. Um, yeah. yeah the, the mustache twirling evil industrialists. <laughs> throw them on a giant spider. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in my world, I always have the uh, the dwarves come up with uh, – they take golems and they make them into golem armor. Uh, but you can do that with enemies as well. Like goblins come up with golems and get inside and – you have a a level one goblin that would die with one hit, but now he's protected by a, a suit of golem armor. That's just scary. Totally, Darth Vader is awesome, right? I mean, like yeah. you know, you, you, Obi Wan was probably a little surprised to see his robot friend. <laughs> <laughs> so you you can go in and have somebody you know come back and you know that you thought you defeated, and you know. You could have your evil industrialists as well, where oh the elves they the you know they could represent you know in America they in a lot of places they put a lot of railroads so your mana powered railroad barons are taking and cutting through the wilderness and you know maybe you and your group of elves are uh, going to stop them maybe yeah. they're the guys right you have a uh, a captain who could be taking over your airship he becomes a pirate you know you, know, you got your pirate navy mm-hmm. um. Floating castles, I always want to put them in, but why do they fit? It's a lot of magic. Yeah. Well, floating castles fit perfect now because they got fans holding them up underneath or men or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, those are great um, places to obviously have pirate raiders. You know, if you're going to put something in the air, you know, the people in airships are going to attack it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're, you, what else? Matt Inventor, his invention is going to ransack the city, like I mentioned, with the, you know, the guard robot kind of shooting off uh, rocket launchers and stuff. And, you know, that's your chance to bring in some gothic type stuff too, right? Whether it's a Frankenstein's monster, um, a mass murderer, um, vampires or werewolves, they all fit, right? You get that, you get that uh, foggy and uh, sooty um, sky and, you know, 
these these things fit a lot better than you know chasing a werewolf across a, a bunch of hobbit farms <laughs> yeah <laughs> and again like well how do i make frankenstein's monster well necromancers are pretty prevalent in fantasy i mean if you want it you don't even need steampunk for that you can just go and you know bring in necromancy and, and have that be um you know a big big element in that yeah uh, magic we did a this is this was in our space campaign that uh, we played recently, but I think that you could totally bring this into a steampunk steampunk campaign. Um, hashtag Magic Mark came up with this idea of necromancers that are built completely off of technology, and instead of actually using magic to raise the dead, they um, use some sort of technology to stimulate the brain again. And but you could like you could have you know some kind of steampunk technology that's driven around that you could have some elemental technology that's driven around that you could have just uh people who create this exoskeleton and even if the person inside this exoskeleton of the steampunky exoskeleton dies the exoskeleton still keeps on attacking whoever it was attacking until oh with the guy inside dead. yeah the guy's like, it, his head flops down. He's dead. You're like, oh, I did it. But it keeps on attacking you. <laughs> that's scary. That is, that's a pretty good idea. I like that one. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And, like, that's the idea here, right? Like, take what the players know and entertain them with new ideas, right? You yeah. know, as a group, come up with new angles on the same stories. I mean, and, and you know, like, as a player, you know, you're you're creating new role-playing opportunities and, and you know, Oh, I've played a rogue and a ranger and a fighter and whatever else. Yeah, but have you played like uh invisible spy? <laughs> you know, like like yeah. what's that about? So you can go and come up with, you know, really new opportunities for players. And then you as a DM, I mean, you're gonna be stretched to go and come up with original ideas. I mean, one of the reasons why my home world is fun is that, you know, we do a lot of island jumping and they ask for like a Star Trek type campaign where, you know, every three or four sessions for whatever reason, we're, we're on a new island. Yeah. So, yeah, we did the steampunk and we had a vampire bad guy with airships. But, you know, the next time we went somewhere, it was, oh, we're fighting like an ape king or, oh, we have, uh, you know, now now we're going on and, and visiting the land of the elves and then we got a fey campaign. So, you know, like that's a lot of extra work. But, you know, by, by going and changing genres and jumping around, finding out what you really like, and you can always extend this day. Like I remember going on a long trip to Europe for three weeks and we ended up in a campground for four days instead of one. You can always stay a little bit longer in the steampunk or, or in the, in the Fey one, or, you know, maybe the jungle campaign's awesome and Hey, let's go see what's south of here. Let's keep going. So, you know, once they jump in and it might be a way of discovering a new genre and you never end up going back to the, uh, you know, your fall crest or sand point. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's really all I had to talk about. I mean, I think we've, been jumping and peppering ideas throughout and uh you know I'm, I'm sure there's hundreds of ideas that we haven't covered and you know whether you're going to the wild west or whether you want to uh visit an australian steampunk prison colony there's, there's just a, a ton of different ways that you can go and uh try out this genre where people are like okay good we're gonna go and fly an airship <laughs> and, do, and do a mystery that's great but you know somebody might have already done that or you know you might want to try something a little bit different than that, right? Yeah, and I think if if you go, hey, this sounds awesome, I want to, uh, in my next campaign, or even in this campaign, start adding in steampunk elements, D&D 
diesel punk elements, uh, whatever it is, I think like we want to encourage you to do that. But also like just really there's so much stuff that we don't have time to cover in one podcast about steampunk that can be explored. And I think the beginning of where you explore like new ideas for a steampunk world is just taking the elements of your world that you already have and asking yourself, how does adding a steampunk template or like having steampunk technology in this world affect that element? Um, like, like we've talked about the races, we've talked about monsters, we've talked about weapons, like, you take a, a bow and now you've, you've got the simple bow to the Hawkeye bow or instead of a bow, they're using some sort of guns. But I mean, there's so much more to explore, um, along with those lines, as, like gods. Like, how does it affect the gods? Are there new gods? Are there gods that leave the world because of the technology? Is there a different interaction? I mean, I could see Procon being really pissed at a steampunk world because if it was polluting the oceans, Procon could be one of the angriest gods there was out there, and the oceans could become a really scary place for travelers because Procon's just pissed at everybody. But there's just so much to explore, and uh, just just really, if you want to do that, think about those elements and how do they affect, um, how do they change in a steampunk setting. Yeah, like don't break your world, right? You know, yeah. add to it, enhance your world, or create a new one. But yeah, don't don't make it over flavor. Yeah, I think it opens up so many doors. To be honest, of like adding new story in and adding new elements to a story in a campaign setting, like to to add a point where technology gets to the point where it's steampunk like. The, the only doors. the the only other thing I'd probably talk about is that you know a lot of times uh, as DMs. We don't describe things enough. We show a picture or whatever, but we don't use the other senses. And when you're in your steampunk city or whatever, you know, talk about how the fog feels. Talk about how the yeah. soot's everywhere. Um, talk about how it tastes, how it smells. You know, like that you're smelling um this type of flower, or how shiny. You know, how the the brass is is, is shinier and, and cleaner here than in the other parts of the town where it's you know all gritty. Or, um, you know, just describe the world and 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 what they're seeing. And you know, mention that you know talk about the people like oh look uh you know uh, a messenger boy just went by on a bicycle like why is he on a bicycle well because <laughs> they made a bicycle why not right yeah i mean like just throwing in like a little bit of flavor like that you know maybe it's really ridiculous or not i mean you know i tried i probably went a little overboard my first time in and that's okay because we always go overboard when we're trying to explain <laughs> the settings to to make it colorful and try to make comparisons right but you know, I, I didn't. I didn't do the steampunk where a giant brass computer was attacking the city. I should do that. Next yeah. Time. <laughs> <laughs> Superman three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. god. The super. The super differential engine. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, I think it, as long as you, as long as you don't, you know, uh, push it in a way that that your players aren't going to enjoy. You know, then maybe it might be a nice departure for everyone. All right, so that's all we have to talk about as far as steampunk settings, steampunk campaigns. We once again just encourage you to try a steampunk setting and adding some technology like this to your world, whether it's, you know, it, we talked about timelines, like adding it later in your timeline, uh, this this technology arises. But, uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. It was once again an absolute pleasure. Um if our listeners want to contact you, if they want to um, just send you some ideas about steampunk that they've created or uh, talk to you more about steampunk campaigns, where can they reach you at? 
<laughs> or or correct us because of uh, <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> the the terribleness we've done. Um, yeah, the the best way to get a hold of me, as always, is to uh, uh, just email info at tribality.com or they can go on the website. We have a contact box right in the sidebar, or you know, just drop a note in the comments. Uh, we're always happy to to get back to people. And I think you'll probably put a link to the steampunk article that I wrote oh, yeah. back in June. Yep of this year uh in the notes so yeah they can just comment on that and i'll get back to them right away perfect well hey sean thanks once again for joining us we hope to have you join us again in the future i'll be happy to uh apparently talk about another genre maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't give anything away sean Shh. <laughs> all right um, sean. Yeah, all right oh sorry right. i didn't want to cut you off <laughs> no no problem all right talk to you guys soon hey, all right talk to you later sean with that Let's head over to DMnastics with DM Neil. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I am the long lost DM main prize, and I am joined by. Uh, or you're joining, whichever you want to. Say. I've just been been lonely having to invite other guests here. Uh, <laughs> DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. That's right. We are pretty pumped. I am very pumped to be. Uh, back in the gym lifting the dm weights so that i can make myself a better dm because i have been absent for some time but i'm pretty pumped to be back silly old life getting in the way of things yeah you know how life is it just happens whether you're you're gonna let it or not so for this one we didn't actually have an episode because the one and only dm chris was busy getting married which i feel is a viable excuse for not doing an episode i think we'll let it slide this time <laughs> this time so dm chris from dm main president i if you are for some reason ha- happen to have a second wedding you have to do the podcast so that's yeah. official podcast comes first yep for the second one the first one it's okay so for this one as you can imagine there was no guest for the episode given that there was no episode but as i put in the dmnastics on the forum that doesn't mean we can't have dmnastics so i entitled this one dmnastics number 24 it's all fair game and i put an e at the end of fair to sound like i'm from a different country and to denote that it would be like a a festival of some sort oh yes a fancy fantastic festival and let me tell you something reading through these ideas on the forums there are definitely some guys who brought their a-game to the gym when they stepped up to the plate to write their ideas so let's see the first one we'll do is actually quite a few ideas put together from dm kiato and it's kind of like a midway style games so the first one he kind of came up with was a log slash rock toss utilizing some strength saves or strength ability checks to figure out can you throw it farther than the other guy can you lift the rock because of how heavy it is just i mean super simple but i mean makes sense because i mean in almost any movie you see that leverages kind of like that medieval time period there's log tossing braveheart right they're going to be throwing heavy stuff totally braveheart maybe even in the background during a knight's tale there's definitely things like this happen when you're at a medieval festival he also has axe throwing which is a great idea you know he he mentions he could definitely see a dwarf in his campaigns running this and if everyone else kind of sucks at the axe throwing competition dwarf will get down and show him how it's done and as a fellow dwarf i can completely agree we know how to throw axes nice and since we're on the topic of dwarves and doing things successfully his uh his other one was a drinking contest three rounds of drinking and have to make dcs that 
gradually get more difficult. If you make it through all three rounds and assume the player is the last one standing, again, notorious through countless movies. I mean, Lord of the Rings with Legolas and Gimli. So, it's a drinking. Last one standing wins. <laughs> the, the other one I immediately thought of, which is random, was Indiana Jones when... Yeah, Miriam. Yeah, drinks the other guy under the table. Raiders of the Lost Ark, pretty classic. I think a, a really fun thing to do would be actually have them do that contest first, then go try to throw the axe and toss the log. Nice. You might be able to impose some negatives on them when they get to those challenges. So the next one was kind of my idea that, well, let's be honest, it was two steps away from being my idea uh because well, whipstash on the forums had mentioned mimics would be a cool thing to add in rourke kind of gave the basic premise of an idea and then i think i took it to completion essentially you have a room that's set up and unbeknownst to the person going in the everything is a mimic like the chest of drawers mm-hmm. the cupboard there's a, a, just a normal chest the table who knows what and they have to get through it to get some kind of prize Yeah, kind of like a house of mirrors, but a house of mimics. Oh, yes. The important thing there would be, though, to have an anti-magic zone, because if a person could easily leverage, like, detect magic, the most basic of spells, and just see it, well, that's not great. But maybe, or you could have a non-magical item in there that it's just a token that they can redeem later. But then also, of course, you would want the mimics to be toned down somehow, be it that they're tame, be it that they've had their teeth removed, whatever. But it could be a cool event for someone to go through definitely and if you want to be a little bit vicious with your players you could take the coffin spire from one of the previous (gasps) gymnastics which was a mimic in the shape of a coffin and put that in there yes i believe that one was actually done by dm mitch yes it was so for the next one i'll let you take it dma price so all mary and knight came up with this idea for kind of an underground zombie sheep rodeo so the way i imagine is almost being like fight club but instead of a bunch of guys going and beating the crap out of each other you show up uh, to this secret you know meeting place called the barn and a wizard cast a like zombie zombification enchantment on a sheep and then the various people who want to attempt to try and get in the ring with the sheep kind of have to try and go toe-to-toe with this thing without getting bit and turned into some kind of hybrid sheep zombie themselves could lead to some some really funny interactions that yes amazing and if you want to go see a hilarious zombie sheep movie let me make sure i tell you the right thing zombie sheep movie folks We're, we're getting it for you we're bringing you the finest in content okay Yes, if you want to go and see Zombie Sheep in uh, action, if you will, you can find the 2006 gem Black Sheep. Not to be Black confused with, with the Chris Farley movie from 10 years earlier. Not to be confused with that at all. But no. Go check out Black Sheep. You'll probably be disappointed and not appreciate that I told you. But <laughs> check it out nonetheless. That makes so sense. for the next one, kind of like we did with last week's Diamnastic, DM main prize, and I will try and come up with a midway game, a game of some sort for your players to try out right now. Admittedly, we have done zero discussion about this. <laughs> so you can see the DMnastics in work. So for me right now, my brain is kind of stuck on one thing that I didn't really see in any of these, and that was the prizes. You know, anytime I've gone to the fair or a festival of any kind, 
and I'm going to be playing games, there's going to be prizes. Often, you know, there's the stuffed animals. So I'm trying to think of what would be an equivalent of something we could bring uh, to the table to give to our players. Interesting. An item, like an item. Yeah. What? Some, some kind of item you could did it like there could be a lot of them. Something as useless as a stuffed animal, but something that could be relevant, you know, to your campaigns. Well, I mean, I think it's an important topic to discuss given what we're talking about, because unless it's the sheer novelty of the idea for your players to go play these games, there's not a lot of monetary motivation to do so. So, yeah. And so I think you'd have to, you know, think about the activity you're having at the fair. If you're doing stuff like DM Chiado suggested, you know, the log toss, the axe throwing, the drinking contest, or he also talked about like a trial of champions. If you're doing something that's a little more intense that involves skill checks and actual maybe combat, then it might be a good idea to have prizes that are useful, that aren't just kind of novelty items. But I think you should also have for the goofier kind of activities, whether it's shooting, you know, arrows at, at magical targets, whatever kind of equivalent you bring to the table from like fairs and, and amusement parks in our own world, you can have more novelty type items like giant stuffed animals. Maybe they're stuffed cob- goblins or other various creatures that people have taxidermized. Nope. Chuck Testa. Nice. I like the idea for the strength-based ones to have a belt that you win in the end, but then have it not be necessarily like super overpowered, but have it just be useful enough that they would want to use it in terms of like giving maybe a plus one strength, but then make it like super gaudy. Like a real, like the giant, like, like John rest- Cena. Yes, you know, exactly you what I'm thinking. It, that's what we're looking at. This yeah. champion's belt. And you could even have it be hyper specific. You know, if they've won it based off a rock, like a rock tossing contest, then they have like plus one anytime they're trying to move a rock. Oh, I, so I you, do. So you could I like, like that. A, you could like attach it so that it's very specific, you know, and then and maybe, you know, you get like a plus one strength whenever you're trying to, to move like a log, but you know, you could kind of take that and extrapolate and say, well, now this guy, like, let's say he wants to be like, like Batman and he wants to like kick through trees. Well, he might have a better chance of kicking through a tree if he's wearing this champion's belt. Yeah. I like that. Or, or put the two ideas together really and have like a static yeah, kind of yeah, okay. Static ability increase, but then something like really notable in that very specific scenario of like, rock tossing you're really good at it otherwise you're a little bit stronger because well you've been tossing rocks around of course exactly that's all you do is throw rocks i like it the other thing i was thinking that you know since you mentioned it would be some more mundane items that they could get easily through the fair Mm -hmm. like win the game get a healing potion or you know, so of course, you have to pay some money to pay the play the game itself. But you could get your potentially get your return on investment and get healing potions at a discount, if you will. Definitely a great idea. I was just thinking, there's at a lot of fairs, you go and like you see kids buying like plastic swords or plastic little laser guns, like maybe you know like toy swords, these kind of things, which on face value don't really offer anything to an adventurer. Oh, I have a I have a par- wooden toy sword but it could come in handy whether you're bribing a kid for information um or if you're just a like a nice paladin type guy and you go to a new town and you want to make a good impression with the townsfolk you start handing out presents to their kids could be good could be creepy so yeah those are some of our ideas both from the forums and from us live we really implore you guys to head over to the forums join up and get involved in these kind of little challenges 
get involved in the conversations, bring your ideas to the table, because each DM has uh, their own unique ideas, unique flavor to bring to the table, and I need your ideas because mine aren't always great, and you need mine because sometimes maybe you may not have the best idea. And to do that, just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net, try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's all we have for you on this edition of the Dungeon Masters Block. We hope that you've enjoyed everything from our story time uh, to the meat, talking about steampunkery, or <laughs> if it's not steampunk at all, then we'll hear about it later. Uh, if it's so not just steampunk you- at all. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go oh, back yeah. to the beginning. Oh, yeah. Bringing it all the way back. It's like bring it it's all like the way epi- back. It's like an it's like the seasons of Lost. You bring something seasons all the way back Lost? from the beginning to the end. It's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, so we hope you enjoyed our, any everything from story time to the meat to DMnastics and the mailbag. We hope that it's inspired you and helped you out in some pretty amazing ways in your world or in just any sort of way that you DM. If you have any. Uh, thing that you want to share with us, whether it be ideas for steampunk or complaints about us not talking about <laughs> steampunk at all, uh, we would love to have conversations with you. And so if you want to send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com, we would love to have some of those conversations with you. So hit us up there. You can also, if you wouldn't mind, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, that helps us climb up the charts and help some people get to know us that probably wouldn't have known us otherwise. Uh, and if you've benefited from this at all, you probably know some other people that could benefit from it as well. And we're also on Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places have news about the show and dungeon mastering in general. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And our Patreon member of the week is... Liliana Shadowland. Woo! Thank you very much, Liliana. You, she is a part of the dreaded Silver Dragons. Ooh. So beware of her uh, as she's roaming around the forums and yeah, things like that has as well. Control. So, uh, say hi to her. And so we just want to thank her for her support that she's given us thus far. Thanks, uh, Liliana. Yeah. So with nothing else, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the table. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good night, everyone. Goodbye.